Good day. Welcome to the Corey Morgan Show. I am, as the name would imply, Corey Morgan, and I'm going to bend your ear for the next hour or so on a number of issues. There's lots to cover. Looking on the bright side, you know, I'm always cursing, complaining, going on about things. I'm sort of a grouch. That's okay. But uh, it's raining in Alberta. It's finally raining. I mean, uh, you're hearing from some people saying it's not enough. It's too little, too late. Okay. But it's still better than nothing. So uh, we could use that cool down. Hopefully some stuff greens up. Give our agricultural producers a break and, uh, you know, give our firefighters a break. Just everybody a break. Heck, even your lawns at home. Boy, it's been quite the drought going on here so far. So, uh, yes, this show runs live for those who are catching it on the social media channels. And by all means, use that comment scroll like Scott and Stuart have already. I appreciate it. I don't necessarily read them all out, but I see them all there. Helps keep the conversation going. Let's just uh, keep it civil, of course, and we can all have a good time. Send questions to my guests and such if you like. I've got uh, coming in today, Jay Hill. He's been on the show a number of times in the past. He was a member of Parliament for a good number of years before finally retiring out of there. I'm looking forward to talking to Jay because there's just, I want to find out about some of the procedure. I want to find out what's going on. How on earth do we deal with this, this CCP corruption issue? How is it that a minority government can get away with putting off an inquiry so effectively? Are there things the opposition can do? Are there not things they could do? I think Jay will be able to answer a lot of those questions. So I'm looking forward to that. Of course, we'll be, uh, Checking in with uh, Jay, or Jay, checking in with our news editor Dave in a little while, but first I'm going to get on about what's got me going today, and it's talking about a nice self-serving subject for me, the media. Yes, the media. And, uh, you know, lots of folks are probably familiar with that old saying, he who pays the piper calls the tune. Well, in Canada, the government's paying the piper with your tax dollars, the media piper anyways, and it's calling the tune through regulations. I mean, the CBC... They've pretty much nearly completed their transformation into a true state media outlet. I mean, newscasts, pundits, and stories on CBC, they sound more like communications for the governing Liberal Party than actually reporting news anymore. But legacy media outlets, they aren't that far behind now as they're getting increasingly dependent on federal subsidies to keep the lights on. Now, face it, subsidies, they stunt innovation, and this is a time when we need it. The older media outlets should have been changing their business models to adapt to a digital world. Instead, they've been honing their lobbying skills and becoming, you know, getting better at accepting handouts and putting that into their budget. Now they're beholden to the government and it shows. And the controls the government has on them can be subtle, but they're there. I mean, since 2019, the government's been paying out payroll subsidies to those they consider qualified news organizations. So this money comes with strings attached, of course, in order to be qualified, applicants must prove, and this is from their, their uh, document here, a consistent practice of providing rebuttal opportunity for those being criticized, including the government of Canada. So what that's led to, though, is an obligation now when government agencies, they make demands on the media outlets to counter anything they may report. The Federal Department of Health issued hundreds of what they call corrections to media outlets over the course of the last couple of years, hundreds. Uh, other media, I mean, uh, other departments of the government surely have been doing the same sort of thing. Critical discourse on health issues has been gagged since the beginning of the pandemic. Government agencies have their own agenda, particularly the health department, and now they've got the power to muscle in on legacy media outlets. If they don't like the media messaging, they'll put the pressure on. This has trained a lot of those outlets to avoid reporting on any uh, commentary that might run afoul of the health department or the government itself. I mean, if an outlet garners too many of those 
corrections, they might find themselves not qualified anymore and bumped from the subsidy train. Bill C-18, of course, we've been hearing about that one. That's even more bold and sneaky as a means of controlling the media. With that bill, the government wants to force social media platforms to pay certain media outlets when they provide links to them. The outlets that will qualify for those payments, of course, they'll be determined by a government committee, and that committee will be appointed by the Liberals. This way, the government keeps its thumb on the media and forces somebody else to pay the bill for them on top of it. Stalin would have blushed with such a move. Independent media outlets are still springing up and expanding despite the government. These outlets have shunned government subsidies and tapped into the private market to pay their bills, whether through subscriptions or advertising or both like we do here at the Western Standard. This allows the outlets to maintain full independence from the government. Independent outlets are dependent, though, on social media platforms to aid with their distribution. Independent outlets don't have mandatory carriage on cable channels as legacy outlets do, and they don't have the means for broader advertising to draw readers and viewers like some of those legacy media outlets do. We need Twitter, YouTube, Meta, Google, all of those ones to get to people out there. The government's recognized this, and now they've seen a way to shut down independent media outlets with C-18. Because, I mean, not only will the media outlets be forced to uh, pay out certain media outlets, I should say the, the social media outlets be forced to pay that out to media outlets, they'll be leaving the independent outlets out to dry. They won't be able to compete. They might not even get links through them. Now, right now, Meta and Google are threatening to drop links to all news sites, whether independent or legacy, as a response to the Trudeau government's heavy-handed approach. And can you blame them? I mean, come on, they're putting the screws to them. What else are they going to do? Say, well, fine, we don't have to give links. We'll just stop. This response, though, is going to harm everybody. Is it, It's tougher than ever to access a broad spectrum of news coverage and analysis. But hope is on the horizon in some ways. Elon Musk, I mean, he's proven to be a disruptor indifferent to the establishment, and I love that. He's willing to go against the grain and stir up the social media world. And Musk has the means to take, and that's the reality of it, the financial beating that comes with going into such a battle. Now, whether, for example, one likes Tucker Carlson or not, doesn't really matter. The unfolding, though, story from his firing from Fox News and his streaming his show on Twitter now is remarkable. Carlson's first episode of Tucker on Twitter garnered 114.8 million views between June 6th and June 12th. Now, to put that in, in, in perspective, the average CNN show draws about 500,000 viewers. Just blew them completely out of the water. A whole new broadcast medium is exploding on the scene, and it's already leaving the conventional media behind. If a show, of course, uh, whether it's Tucker or anything else, can gather millions or tens of millions of viewers, it will draw advertising and revenue. The show won't need tax dollars. If the platform's owned by somebody as intransigent as Elon Musk, I, it, you know, it won't capitulate to government control, at least not easily, if ever. The battle for free media versus government control media is just heating up in Canada. It's going to take some time, but the legacy media outlets will collapse eventually for lack of viewership, despite the government subsidies. And we will see independent media outlets. Some will come, some will go, but eventually they will establish the new order of media provision. The only question now, though, is how long will it take and how much damage will the government cause in trying to maintain an obsolete status quo for its own benefit? That's what's got me going today, guys. Yes, uh, the battle for your eyes and ears and the federal government using all its tools it can to try and control that. And uh, it's just, it's, it's sad and it's repugnant, to be honest. All right, let's talk to uh, our news editor. He, he's independent. He doesn't get any tax dollars, or if he does, he's hidden it really well. And that's Dave Naylor. And uh, see what else is going on out there. Hey, Dave, how's it going? 
Uh, pretty good, Corey. No, the government takes uh, takes a lot of tax dollars from me. They don't uh, they don't give me anything. Hey, does uh, does your lovely wife Jane watch the show? Uh, usually, she's not watching today, I believe, because she had a, a course to teach. But uh, yeah, she watches yeah. later in case I say something stupid. Well, I just wanted to wish her a happy birthday. Uh, what did you get her? Uh, well, I took her out for supper, and, and I actually I made her a card and a, and a breakfast this morning that she politely said was good. Well, there you go. It's more than you normally do, I think. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> got a lot of news to talk about this morning, Corey, and uh, a lot of it is kind of related to uh, to your monologue there. Uh, Bell Media uh, took uh, took 122 million dollars in uh, subsidies from the federal government, but that didn't stop them from uh, gassing a 1,300 workers today. Uh, they shut down uh, newsrooms across the country, including uh, two in Vancouver, one in Edmonton, one in Calgary. And they're going to solidify all their news under sort of one CTV under umbrella. So we'll uh, we'll see how that uh, that goes for them. Uh, top story at the moment is the leader of the Black Lives Matter movement in Calgary. Ironically, she's being charged with a hate crime uh, for uh, her actions in front of a Catholic church recently. So uh, you can uh, click on that one. And uh, speaking of Tucker Carlson, we have a story on his his third Twitter episode. Uh, uh, that aired last night, uh, talking about uh, the arrest of uh, President Donald Trump and his appearance in the courtroom in uh, in Miami yesterday. Uh, so you get uh, Tucker's thoughts there. Uh, you remember a tweet from the weekend, Corey, on uh, uh, Premier Daniel Smith in her restaurant in uh, in High River. Uh, she was washing dishes there, and uh, that tweet got a lot of attention. So I guess she's uh, gone from washing dishes to washing her hands. Uh, of the of the restaurant because it's now up for sale. Uh, so uh, if you want to own your own little restaurant on a rail car, uh, uh, give uh, give Premier Daniel Smith a call. Uh, the other thing worth mentioning uh, this morning, Corey, is uh, uh, you remember that uh, thirteen billion dollar taxpayer gift to Volkswagen. Well, apparently, according to the uh, uh, parliamentary budget officer, uh, it's already gone up uh, by more than two billion. Already $2 billion over budget, and I think they only announced the thing maybe a month ago. So uh, can you say boondoggle, Corey? Oh, I can't imagine what that thing's going to total when they're done with it. Cool. And uh, lastly, I'll mention we have the uh, uh, announcement of the Calgary Stampede Parade Marshal this morning. If you remember last year, it was Kevin Costner, and he caused uh, all the women to swoon along the uh, parade route. Uh, this year, it's going to be Jeremy Hansen. And if that name's not familiar to you, he's a, uh, he's a Canadian astronaut, and he's set to be blasted off to the moon uh, through uh, uh, a moonshot, one of the first moonshots in, in a generation uh, coming up later. So he'll be leading the parade this year, Corey. Right on. Well, it's uh, yeah, a lot busy one in the newsroom today. Dave, uh, I'll let you get back to putting that up there so you can uh, continue to stay uh, free from you know government uh, largesse and... Uh, Keep getting those stories up. Absolutely. We wouldn't do it if we were, right? No, I wouldn't. All right. Thanks, Dave. Thanks. So, yes, that was our news editor, Dave Naylor, from the newsroom. As you can hear, yes, lots of stories, guys. We put stuff up there all the time. And we blow the legacy media outlets out of the water. There is constant stories going up. We've got reporters across the country, unique content. The reason we can do it kind of ties into my rant. Uh, I'm segueing it together is because you guys subscribe and that makes us accountable to you. I mean, as opposed to what I was talking about with legacy media outlets, when they take the money from the government, they become accountable to them. 
999 uh, for a month guys $100 for a year and you get full unfettered access to all of our stories our columns and all that good stuff plus of course you support us support this show and keep us rolling so if you're already a subscriber thank you very much guys you can go to westernstandard.news and, and get straight through to it and if you're not a subscriber yet come on get on in there guys westernstandard.news slash membership and it helps keep us rolling and keeping these shows going. So, yeah, a lot there, you know. And, and as Dave mentioned, so Bell Media, and this shows the subsidy route, and this kind of gets to the end of the, the monologue I gave. What I do believe that these, these large outlets are still going to crumble. It doesn't matter how many tax dollars get poured into them. So $122 million poured into Bell Media, and what do they do? They laid off 1,300 people and shut down a bunch of radio stations. They, they, and they won't adapt. It's similar to what I was talking about before. These are AM radio stations. One of the ones they shut down was 1060 in Calgary, an AM uh, platform. It had been running the last couple of years uh, just playing comedy clips. It was uh, Calgary Funny Radio or something like that that they called it. I couldn't imagine they were drawing much for, for ad revenue. And finally, they just pulled the plug on it. I, I'm dating myself, but I remember in, in the 80s when I moved to Calgary, that was AM 106. That was the All Hits 106. It was a huge radio station in the city back then, very big. But times change. That station probably should have disappeared 10 years ago, to be honest. And I'm not celebrating the losses of jobs or the, the people that are in them, but they have to adjust to the changing atmosphere. Who listens to AM radio anymore? Well, I do in my car now and then, but I'm one of the last of them going on out there, guys. I mean, it's streaming, it's online. It's, you know, people, you, you see the earbuds in with the next generation. They're not listening to radio stations. And if these companies weren't being subsidized all this time, uh, then these, these stations um, would have adapted perhaps or these outlets in general, and some of those jobs perhaps could have been saved. But as it is now, we gave them the money, we got little to nothing of benefit out of it. And it, yeah, now they're gonna centralize further, as Dave said, into just CTV. So we're getting fewer and fewer outlets, and uh, none of these outlets are really gonna wanna uh, ever be too critical of their sugar daddy in Ottawa, or they might find the pin pulled on their subsidies. Not a good situation, but hey, we're still here, and that's, what's positive out of this, as are some of the others, Rebel, True North, uh, Epoch Times. We're going to spring up like weeds. We won't let them get away with stopping the information getting to you. All right, I'm going to get to my guest here. I've been looking forward to this. It's been a while since we've had you in studio there, Jay. It's good to see you. This is Jay Hill. As I mentioned at the top of the show, a former member of parliament, former whip, uh, all around expert in all that's, uh, all that's Ottawa. So thanks for coming in and talk to us today, Jay. Uh, my pleasure, Corey. It's always nice to be on your show. Yeah. And 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 what I kind of said in the email, like what I want to get to is we've had all of this federal talk. We've had all of this these political games going on for months. We have a federal government that's in a minority position, but they still it appears to be able to skate on a public inquiry. Like I, I'm just wondering, are there parliamentary things that can be done to address this by the opposition parties or, or are their hands tied? Well, first of all, absolutely, there are things that can be done. Um, I think you're well aware that uh, I hold the dubious distinction of uh, having been the only member of parliament in the history of our Canadian parliament to hold the position of, of uh, caucus or party whip four times. Um, my staff did some research and couldn't find any other time that anybody had been in that position twice, let alone four times. And I've also been the house leader uh, both uh, in opposition for the, the uh, chief opposition, but also uh, for the government, uh, which is a cabinet position, as you know. Uh, so I'm very well versed in uh, 
certainly in, in what uh, can happen and how a government can be held accountable. Uh, certainly uh, part of the reason why I decided to uh, try something else other than public life in 2010 was at the time I had reached the basically the apex of my political career. I was in cabinet. I was sort of sitting on the right hand of the prime minister at the time uh, as the government house, house leader or the leader of the government in the House of Commons. And as such, in a minority parliament, it's a very, very difficult position normally. Certainly for a conservative it is. Mm -hmm. uh, because you have to negotiate with the other parties, Corey, uh, bill by bill, motion by motion, daily, sometimes hourly, to try and get anything done for the government's agenda to get it through parliament. And, uh, of course, with conservatives, we don't have any natural allies. All the other parties are, shall we say, left of centre. And um, so it was immensely stressful for the two minority parliaments that we had from 2006 uh, to 2011 until Prime Minister Harper won his one and only majority. Uh, so I fully recognize what can be done and what can't be done when it comes to uh, negotiating with the other parties. Sadly, for Canadians, we have an opposition party, the NDP, under the leadership of Jagmeet Singh, that has given our prime minister free reign to do whatever the hell he wants. And uh, that's totally unlike the way we were held accountable, Harper Conservatives, in those two minorities that I was a, a part of. Yeah, well, and just the, the, the talking out of both sides of his mouth, though, whereas Jamie Singh has been very critical, rightly so, of this this whole uh, scandal. I mean, see, we might as well call it that by now, you know, the scandal of the Chinese Communist Party interference and the Trudeau government working so hard to block an inquiry by all means. But, you know, he's tabling motions, a non-binding motion, a non-binding motion. Well, big deal. It's virtue signaling. But are there things that can be... He's, the things that can be done that could force us then without bringing down the government. Like he's saying, okay, we'd have to, it's not worth bringing the government down over right now. I mean, not all of us might agree, but fine. But, uh, you know, is it, opposition day, is there something they could put in as a bill or something that can force this without turning it to a confidence matter? Well, absolutely. Um, I mean, the prime minister under our system always holds the trump card, Corey. I think you're aware of this. Mm -hmm. in, in so far as that he can declare any motion or any um, act, any uh, piece of legislation, a confidence motion, which means that if that motion is defeated, if it, uh, if it falls, then we're into an election. That's what that means. Mm -hmm. uh, but what we did, what Stephen Harper did when Prime Minister, and I as both his house leader and earlier as his government whip, we negotiated on a continual basis with the other parties to say, okay, well, how can we work with you to amend this so that it doesn't become a confidence measure? In fact, we never played that so-called trump card of declaring something a confidence unless we felt very clearly that was it was so integral to our government agenda for to what we were trying to accomplish for Canadians uh, that we had no other choice. So that happened very rarely that we would sort of have a showdown and usually it was behind closed doors where you say, you know, face to face, well, this is so much part of our electoral promises or whatever, uh, that if you're insistent, uh, other house leaders, other whips, about uh, getting your caucus to vote against it, and we lose this, then we're going to go into an election. That's very rare under most circumstances. The problem is, is that Jagmeet Singh never plays 
that card. He never, I'm sure he never says to the prime minister or maybe behind closed doors, the prime minister indicates all the time to him, well, you know, if you uh, go against this Jagmeet, we're going to be into an election. In other words, he's playing that fear of a confidence motion constantly. Because stopping short of that, there's lots that can be done. At committees, uh, opposition days, as you say, uh, in the House of Commons, there's a few that are votable, uh, that are actually driven to a vote. You could, you could do a lot of things. This is not the first scandal. Mm-hmm. Uh, there have been many. And the Prime Minister has done this, Prime Minister Trudeau has done this repeatedly throughout the last number of years, where every time a scandal comes up, he'll do everything possible to hide it from Canadians, even up to and including calling an election, uh, you know, which he did in 2021. So um, it's just really, it comes down to having an extremely weak opposition party led by someone that doesn't want to see an election because he fears for himself in his leadership position and he fears for his party's uh, fortunes. Oh, yeah, and I understand that. I mean, Jagmeet Singh is as close to power as he will ever get. He knows that, you know, come the next election, he might not be in such a a position again. But, I mean, it just feels to me that it's a bluff that it could be called. I I, I mean, you know, when you you declare something a confidence matter, that means that you're building a hill for yourself to die on. You're saying, we're going to stand on this. And really, even Trudeau is as tone deaf as he can seem to be. To go to Canadians and say, we're going to call an early election because... I don't want to go to an inquiry. I can't think of a more politically suicidal platform to go to the voters with. I, I just don't think he would. He would do that. Do that. So to answer your question, yes, an opposition day. Uh, certainly, we had tremendous challenges at each and every committee. As you know, the Procedure and House Affairs Committee uh, has been studying this issue, if you will. Uh, they called the. Uh, uh, I forget what he's called now. Uh, reporter, uh, Mr. Reporter, yeah, yeah, Mr. Mr. Johnston, Johnston, uh, before them for a three hour testimony about a week ago, I think a week ago yesterday. Um, and you know, put him on the hot seat asking questions about why his report basically said, well, no, he didn't think a public inquiry was necessary starting next month. Had he stayed in his job before he resigned, uh, he was going to start public hearings. Well, public hearings do not have the strength and do not have all the tools that a public inquiry have, as, as I'm sure you're aware. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, a public inquiry is very much like the powers of, the, of a standing committee or even a special committee of the House of Commons. They have rights very similar to courts where they can subpoena you and say, you will show up on this day to give evidence and answer questions. Uh, Public hearings, which Mr. Johnston allegedly was going to do, you cannot. They can they can request. They can ask you to come. But if you you know basically say go pound sand, nothing nothing happens. So committees have that power. Jagmeet Singh and the NDP have that power. They could easily, by dint of working with the other opposition parties, they could easily force those issues at a committee and hold basically a full public inquiry or something very similar to that at one of those committees. And you'll recall other instances over the last number of years since uh, Trudeau came to power in 2015, where committees started to do that, and then eventually the NDP folded and didn't force it to go to its logical conclusion. 
Okay, so they could start because I mean, the, people want answers. I mean, we're, we're seeing it's it's rare when we see such a dominant thing with polling and Canadians. The lack of faith in in everything we've been hearing out of this. You know, you're looking at twenty some percent of the people believing anything more out of the Trudeau government when it comes to this issue. issue. I mean, they still the numbers supporting the government are higher than that. Okay, they don't want to go to election, but they want to get to the bottom of this. They want to find out just what the heck is going on. I mean, we've had some very direct meddling and it. it it just flabbergasts me. I mean, our system isn't working like it should. If we can't, in a minority situation, get a real deep dig into something this important, uh, it, it doesn't bode well for us. Well, and I think it really hinges to a large extent, and this is, I say this very sort of sadly, uh, that it hinges on the topic you were discussing just as I came into the studio, which is uh, the, the basic neutering of our national media. You know, why aren't they on to Jagmeet? Why aren't they calling bullshit with, uh, on Jagmeet Singh when he stands up and rants and raves about scandal after scandal and does nothing when he has the power to do that? All he has to do is sit down with the conservatives and block and say, okay, let's devise a common strategy of how to get to the bottom of this at whichever committee, ethics committee, procedure and house affairs, pick a committee, doesn't matter. They all have the same powers and say, we're going to work together. We have the majority of votes on that committee because it's a minority government. And we're going to force this starting tomorrow, next time that committee meets. And we have the power to have that committee meet all summer, right through the heat of summer. You know, uh, it doesn't have to rise when the house rises, uh, you know, next week or whenever it is. Um, they have that power, but the media and the public, you know, it's fine for, you know, the latest poll uh, to say that 80% of Canadians, uh, you know, are opposed to this, the way the government is going on this issue, right? Yeah. Uh, that's great. But is it going to accomplish anything? Well, that's it. I mean, if, they, if their elected members can't bring about any, uh, you know, change or, or getting into this, uh, I'll get, ask you to get you know a little speculative. Uh, the time goes goes fast. We still got a few minutes yet, but do you think we're gonna get a public inquiry eventually? I don't know. I mean, uh, judging by the way that this prime minister is skated around other issues, whether it's the SNC Lavalin thing that should have brought him down. I mean, my goodness, uh, the Attorney General and Justice Minister of the country, uh, Jody Wilson Raybould, resigned over it wrote a book over it and still Canadians put up with this. I mean, uh, so when we didn't over that, when we didn't over the we, he skated around that issue of trying to funnel uh, hundreds of millions of dollars to the we, a, a company that he was clearly in a conflict with, with his members of his family receiving money uh, for speaking engagements from that company, the we foundation. Um, you know, so it's been one, and that's just two that come to mind. Yeah. I was looking online a few days ago out of curiosity, and I challenge your viewers to do this. Go online and just Google Justin Trudeau scandals. It's page after page after page. It's almost impossible for journalists to keep up with. And the few journalists like yourselves that actually want to dig into it. Uh, so uh, are we going to get one? You would think that logically he's going to be forced uh, but it's only the media that can force him to do that. Uh, I don't understand why his own party is letting this go on and on, because eventually, and I think we're reaching that point, that tipping point, if you will, uh, where 
his star is going to be so much in decline uh, that it's going to be very difficult for the Liberal Party to recover from it. That's where I wanted to go next, actually, was just wondering if that's one other area. I mean, there's got to, we know there's principled liberal member of, members Absolutely. of parliament, and they've got to be, you know, taking the, the, the flack from this stuff they had nothing to do with. They're embarrassed. Their constituents are on their case, and they're looking to their own political futures. Yeah. Uh, liberals, I mean, that's just a fact. They tend to be better at keeping them all together than conservatives. We love speaking out and ripping our own. I mean, that's our nature, but, but, uh, at some point, as you said, that tipping point might be hit where enough in caucus, he might finally get a caucus revolt, even if behind closed doors, but to say, look, that's enough. We, we're not going to go down with this shit. Yeah, yeah. And it has happened in the past, I think, with both governing parties, whether it's ours, the Conservative Party. Like you say, I think that the record would show that within the Conservative Party, and it's both good and bad, uh, that the leadership is held more accountable than what we see in the Liberal Party. I mean, most recently... Uh, uh, Mr. O'Toole, right? It, it wasn't the general public or or the media that eventually held him accountable. Uh, it was his own caucus. Uh, and we don't see that from the Liberals. And as you say, I worked with, well, partly because of the positions I held, I had to work daily, sometimes hourly, as I said, with, with my counterparts, with the House leaders and the whips of all the other parties. Uh, and I found most of them were very respectful and, you know, uh, putting forward an alternate point of view, but you could work with them. And so there are people in those ranks uh, within the Liberal Party, the Liberal Caucus, that should be holding him accountable because they're not profiting. In fact, arguably, as you say, it's their very futures that are in jeopardy because of the way that he acts. Every time one of these scandals comes along where he does everything, well, and including, I think, uh, on the one, I don't remember which it was, where he actually launched a lawsuit against the Parliament of Canada to prevent uh, them digging into something. So, Yeah, it's bizarre times. I mean, you know, another long shot, I'll throw out my speculation, but it's not impossible to think that maybe at a point, Justin's going to take his walk in the snow like his father did yeah, and come back. I mean, that would be because he was getting the pressure inside to think, you know what, maybe I'll just bail out now move on, put it to a leadership race. We can still kick the inquiry down the road. And maybe people will have forgotten about it and I can retire. Uh, yeah. No, I think that everybody runs, uh, runs their term of office and has to come to that decision. And some people are forced out. Um, I've often remarked, I guess, that uh, politi all too many politicians, you know, are like bad milk in the fridge. I mean, they stay around until they start to stink up the place. Well, yeah. And I mean, even with great ones, it's been unfortunate, you know, with, with Premier Klein's a good example of it. I mean, he was he, he's a legend in Alberta. He did a lot of great things. But that last couple of years, it was kind of the hook was starting to come out. Okay, Ralph, maybe it's time to to step aside. And he kind of left, you know, with his own parties turning on him a little, which is same with Kretchen. Yeah. Uh, just in for too long. Yeah. But uh, just not seeing it with Trudeau yet. <laughs> no, we're not. And I think that partly because of a lot of things. We've never been in a situation in our country where the major media has become the propaganda arm of the government through subsidization. That's never happened before until Justin Trudeau. And uh, so that puts a very unique perspective on everything that's happening in and out of Ottawa. And um, had it not been for that, there may have been 
enough pressure from multiple sources, not just the sort of the lone, one of the lone voices in the wilderness, the Western Standard out here in Calgary saying these things, digging into these things, or rebel news. Uh, you know, they're very few and far between. Uh, if you had some of the major networks doing the job they're supposed to do for Canadians, uh, I think there, you know, maybe he would have already taken that walk. Perhaps. Well, we'll see what happens. I said, you know, they're going to recess in a week or so. I suspect they're going to kick this can down the road until fall. And we'll see if public interest is still there when the, when the time comes. I think so. It seems to me the leaks are going to keep coming. Whoever that is, they've got more. They're not going to let this go. Well, sadly, the message I want to leave your viewers with is that uh, don't make any mistake on this. Jagmeet Singh and the NDP, every time you hear him say something critical of the government, Call him out for what it is. It's being, he's being a hypocrite. It's complete hypocrisy. He has the power to work with the other opposition parties and drive these types of scandals to some form of public disclosure at minimum. And uh, he chooses, he and his caucus choose not to do that and instead to prop up uh, this scandal-ridden government. Well... Time will tell. All right. Well, thanks again for coming in, Jay. I just appreciate some explanation. You know, not everybody are political weenies like us. that Watch the procedure and what's going to be done and what can't be done. Committees, things like that. And just, you know, the general audience, like they're, they're frustrated readers and yeah. know, what can be done. Just a confirmation that something can be done. They're just choosing not to. And, and uh, well, well, we'll see what happens. So, yeah. Well, I, Canadian democracy, especially in this case, Canadian democracy is the poorer for it. I mean, I think that's why it's 80 percent of Canadians is because there isn't an awakening to the, the fact that foreign interference in our election strikes at the very heart of everything that we stand for. I mean, a democracy has to stand on the legitimacy of its elections. Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks, Jay. It was great seeing you in here again. And, uh, well, thanks for asking hope me. hope we can have you back again sometime soon. Maybe we to start talking about the next election. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully we'll be into it sooner rather than later because the country's going to be destroyed if it keeps going the way it is. It does seem to be. All right. Well, thank All right. you. So that was Jay Hill, as you heard. And yes, a, a regular guest here, a person who's certainly put in a long time of service on Parliament Hill and still managed to maintain his marbles out of all that time in there. It's uh, quite surprising. Well, I think a lot of them will have a few screws loose on the way in if, if they don't make it on the way out. Uh, but yeah, it just, just gets so maddening, you know? So I'm going to talk a little bit about some federal things. I mean, the things that are coming up, this complete lack of accountability, this feeling that they just don't care and they get away with whatever they like. Uh, you know, so we see th these things coming up at the Privy Council, which is sort of a, it's the Prime Minister's wing of government in a sense, is the Privy Council. And the Privy Council President, Bill Blair. And uh, at first he was claiming when it comes to the Chinese interference. Like th th these bits of information keep coming out. He was saying uh, they withheld information they didn't even know about it. Well, it's been found, no, that was absolutely false. He's completely lying. Just lying. There's no other way to put it. He's outright lying. They don't care. They lie and they get away with it. And then, of course, the minister of lies, I call him that all the time, Marco Mendicino, because uh, this is a different one, but it's with the, the, the Paul Bernardo. It was found out that he was being transferred to a medium security prison. He's a, a monster. He's an odious person that nobody likes to imagine being moved anywhere less secure than a maximum security prison. And, uh, you know, it, I, I understand we've got some some liberal fart catchers on social media saying, oh, well, you know, it's not the part of the minister to 
uh, determine who moves to which prison, who doesn't. That's true. That's the Department of Corrections. But they did let Mendicino's office know about this because they knew, obviously, it was going to be a big issue. They knew they were dropping a bomb, and they let him know months before the transfer. They let his office know months before the transfer. But he claimed, I didn't hear about it. Again, just lies. Just lies. Lies when asked about it. And again, lying from politicians, well, that's hardly a new thing. This is not something that's a, you know, a unique or singular, but it's the way they get away with it. It's driving us so mad. I mean, they're getting rewarded for lying about things all the time. And I, I don't know what it's going to take just to stop it. And they need to be held accountable on a lot of levels with a lot of things. Uh, you know, this is one that Dave mentioned uh, with the news check-in, the Parliamentary Budget Office. So yeah, the report. So this is, you know, an independent office in Parliament saying, look, these numbers for the massive amount of subsidies going into this battery uh, fabrication facility that Trudeau is, is, is basically punishing Western uh, energy producers to funnel money into this Ontario Volkswagen-owned, so foreign-owned plant to make batteries for electric vehicles. And they haven't even moved a shovel yet. And they've blown their own budget by billions. It's up to $16.3 billion from $13.9. This is only a few months. And they haven't done anything yet. What's this going to cost by the time we're done with it? But who's holding them accountable? It's like Jay said, media isn't. They don't want to stir everything up because so many of them are so dependent on the subsidies as well. They don't want to rock the apple cart. That's how they're paying their bills. And, and they're all running in circles in Parliament between Polyev and the Bloc and Jagmeet Singh trying to get this inquiry going or maybe not trying to get the inquiry going. Meanwhile, this, as Dave said, budding boondoggle is sliding under the radar. This should be making bigger headlines. I want to give a shout out to Blacklock's reporter because the guys keep digging these things out too. And actually it was the Taxpayers Federation also got in on that one. Like there's some people holding government to account, but it's not legacy media and it's not our elected opposition members. So if they aren't, who the hell is? And how bad is it going to get? I mean, this is a government that's on the rocks. This is a government that's a mess. Uh, this is, you know, another one here from... Uh, Bill Blair's staff, yeah, saying that he wasn't given a, a memo on Beijing targeting things. Uh, Melanie Jolie, you know, uh, yeah, a lot of people speculate as to why she's in such a position of power. She's a, a federal minister. But uh, apparently she showed up at a party. It was a, a scandal because uh, there was a, a senior official with the Russians who showed up and she didn't. Her staff, again, said uh, she said they didn't tell me. I didn't know. Well, these are cabinet ministers. These are some of the most theoretically powerful people in the country, and they never seem to know what's going on under their feet. It's always their staff apparently just running around rampant, and, and uh, no, they're just lying. They're lying. But, you know, if it works, you're going to keep doing it, I guess. Eh? And this is a, another one. This is what really gets to the nub of a lot of things. So all roads keep leading back to the Trudeau Foundation. And people keep screaming, you know, again, they get upset with me on social media when I point that out. It's just because it has the name of Trudeau. It doesn't mean it has anything to do with the family. Oh, spare me. Spare me. Justin's brother was on the board. Justin's half-sister. Yes, Pierre didn't just have times with Margaret. Half-sister was on the board. Justin's brother, though, was, was part of what got that, that donation to the foundation from the Chinese Communist Party. And uh, we've got, uh, you know, uh, the, the CEO, former CEO of the Trudeau Foundation, Morris uh, Rosenberg. He was running it when 
they took the 200,000. Now, he's also the guy that the Trudeau government appointed to watch and see if there's any interference in the 19, uh, 2019 and 2023 elections. Yeah, it, it's this inbred bunch. These names keep popping up. And lo and behold, Rosenberg didn't find any interference in those elections. CSIS found interference in those elections. Rosenberg didn't, though. Strange, isn't it? Uh, yet, why? Why is the Chinese Communist Party then obsessed with giving money to this foundation? See, it doesn't buy any, any influence. That's where Rosenberg was so upset. You can't buy our influence for only 200000 Well, were you setting the price, Rosenberg? Is that what you were saying with that statement that you put out the other day? No, I don't think that's what you're saying. But maybe, maybe if you have a high enough price, you'll admit, okay, you can buy our love for that. They thought they could buy your love with it. And uh, looks like they almost got away with getting that in without people knowing it happened. So, uh, yes, we've got a lot of questions. And then, of course, when we have David Johnston, why was it right from the start when he was appointed at this, this baloney position of special repertoire, which is just a fabrication on Trudeau's part, why do people question his objectivity? Well, because he was on the board of the Trudeau Foundation. And then Johnston says, it's outrageous you're questioning my credibility. Here, here's a couple of big names that'll vouch for me. And lo and behold, those names were on the Trudeau Foundation as well. Guys, what do you get paid to be on the board of the foundation? Seriously, I don't know. Uh, a lot of boards are volunteer. A lot of boards just give a small honorarium, but I got no idea. We can't audit that foundation. That foundation was given $125 million tax dollars when Jean Chrétien set it up. Yeah, nice charity. And People can't find a heck of a lot of evidence of what exactly that charity does. It, it gives uh, scholarships out to certain kids and a few things, but uh, there are some rules with charities. They have to put out something like 4 or 5% of their capital every year in the charity charitable activity they're supposed to be running, or they could lose status. And apparently the Trudeau Foundation hasn't met that bar a number of times over the years. So where's all the money going? When you look at that board of directors, not just Trudeau's family and friends and neighbors and former MPs and holy cow, it's a whole liberal reunion on the board there. Well, how much are those guys drawing to be on the board? Is it a foundation or is it a money laundering scheme? I don't know. We need to investigate these things. It stinks. It stinks to high heaven. So don't get on my case because I, I call it out. It, if... Uh, you know, to, to the liberals who get so upset with me online when I point these things out, if it's all clean, if it's all in the up and up, then why are you abjectly terrified wetting your pants over the possibility there would be a full public inquiry? Whereas Jay Hill, I guess, said with a full public inquiry, then you start getting a lot more power, though. You can start, you know, subpoenaing. You can bring people in and compel testimony. You can compel documents. Maybe that's how we can dig in. And if there's nothing there, then the inquiry would say, there's nothing there. Leave the foundation alone. There's obviously not a problem here. But I think it's pretty clear there's a problem there. I mean, as, as we were saying, it looks like Justin Trudeau's willing to tear his own party to the ground rather than, than, than have an inquiry, you know, let people know what the heck is going on out there. We've got a foreign nation, a state that is, is not a friend of Canada's. It's, a, it's poking around with our elections. It's meddling directly with our members of parliament in opposition. That's been shoring up Chinese Communist Party friendly politicians in the Liberal Party. And I mean, some others are saying, well, you know, there's probably some conservatives who might have been compromised too. Well, okay, let's have an inquiry and find out. I don't care which party is guilty. I just want to find out who but we can't seem to find out yet. Ah, maddening. 
But uh, yes, we'll carry on pushing and, and ranting and raving and going over doing what we can. All right, let's do a, a check-in. And this is on a, on a big issue uh, right now. And, and we'll check in with Jim Buzicum and uh, see what's going on out there with, you know, with marketplace commodities because we've got some, some real weather-related challenges going on. Hi, hi Jim. How are you doing? Hey, good, Corey. Thanks. Um, we certainly do have some uh, big weather challenges going on. And, and uh, I think we're all pretty aware of it in Alberta. Um, you know, I'd say roughly looks like around 80% of the cropland. So the, uh, productive land in, uh, Alberta would be under moderate to severe drought. And, uh, so this first affects, um, in the farming community, it affects those that are, um, in the cow calf, uh, livestock feeding where, you know, where hay crops, um, aren't growing very well they're not getting the moisture and uh they're seeing some uh you know seeing some shortages of hay i mean maybe not today yet but that'll come up in the coming weeks and months and then furthermore uh, all the areas that are seeded to the various crops that we grow here they're also uh, they're still most of them are still okay right now but as this uh, drought intensifies or if it does um we're going to see some yield reductions, that's for sure. So uh, I, I guess, the, you know, part of your role is it, how is this going to affect markets? Is it still, I mean, it's world commodities though. Uh, is it localized enough in Western Canada that it won't have a, a larger impact all around or is this going to, to change things more dramatically? Yeah, it's going to affect things on a local basis um, here in Alberta mostly. Uh, Saskatchewan is actually in quite good shape. They've been getting about normal precipitation. Manitoba's on the dry side and then to the south of us, um, trading in Montana. Montana looks fine too. So yeah, in the scope of world uh, commodity markets, it is still definitely a localized problem. Albeit um, if you're right in the thick of it here in Alberta, it does affect you at your at your farm and uh, it does affect you, most Albertans to some extent. I mean, it's not just the farmers. We've seen the fires and all the other things that have happened as a result of the dryness as well. So um, markets have been steady. I think it stopped the market from going down. We were on a fairly steady downtrend from January until I think the end of May. The last two weeks we've seen the markets actually uh, recover maybe just several percent um, on roughly about $10, $15 per ton. Now, there's not a lot more upside to it uh, because uh, the world markets are, are just simply lower than what, uh, what our domestic price is. So in, in some aspects, the drought conditions, you could almost say is priced into the market already. And I guess this this brings a risk of just people getting out of the, the market altogether. Uh, you know, cattle producers have been having a rough go for, for quite some time, things such as that with, with feed, uh, which would lead to a longer term, Just a, it's just bad for consumers and producers altogether. Yeah, these things, uh, the long-term effect on it is if cattle producers um, are unable to either get feed for their cattle or it's really expensive, they're going to call their herds and reduce their herd sizes and we're going to feed less cattle and yeah, ultimately, it's going to mean uh, already a very expensive product such as beef getting more expensive. And I think we all know how expensive food is already. This is not this is not helpful. Um, it, it may be a local problem today, but it does affect the consumer somewhere down the road. 
Absolutely. Well, it's it's a long game. I guess we can, we can hope for the, the weather to turn and, and uh, you know, other seasons and uh, this season perhaps to improve a little bit yet. Eh? Yes, for sure. I mean, we'll see what, what comes out of it. And uh, it's June and things can change yet. So we'll we'll still we still can see room for improvement. But right now, it's certainly a large concern. And uh, and we hope that the rains come sooner than later. Great. Well, I thank you for the update, even if it's a, a little bleak looking. But as I said the world's not ending yet. It's just a little keep distressing. On. So uh, we'll uh, keep an eye on things and then hope for the best. All right. Take care. Thanks, Corey. Thanks, Jim. Bye. So yeah, that was uh, Jim Buzicum of uh, Marketplace Commodities. Guys, they're based down in, in Lethbridge and they, they have uh, offices throughout the West uh, working in the, the agricultural commodities. And as you see, it's uh, like any commodities, uh, just a difficult thing to judge when, when things are going to be at their best or at their worst. And there's things that are beyond your control, such as the weather. But uh, we're hoping for the best. Like I said, we got some rain today. Maybe that's a sign of the uh, breaking of, of that cycle right now because, I mean, our producers are suffering. It's just not an easy way to make a living, and we don't need more people getting out of that field, you know. And uh, as was pointed out by Jim as well, hey, it will run down to the consumers as well. So, you know, the, what affects them today is going to affect your plate at home tomorrow. Uh, Karen Mitchell, the commenter, saying, how can beef get more expensive? Who can afford it now? It's aging on the shelves. Yeah, it's pretty tight. You know, I, I think I'd like to bring somebody in down the road to talk a bit about that because we got some issues, I think, also with processing and stuff to talk about when it comes to that. There's a number of issues, but uh, uh, beef certainly is a it's a luxury these days, you know, to go out and buy a, a good steak. And uh, I've gotten better at the art of uh, tenderizing tougher cuts and, and things like that at home if I want things or it's just going to be a treat if I'm going to get a nice... Uh, ribeye and when we're living in an area with so many cattle producers it's uh, you know frustrating but again if, if it's costing more to feed that's just the way it goes i mean it has to come down to the consumer eventually so uh yeah we just hope for the best uh i guess i'll i'll, I'll finish up and talking about yeah something dave mentioned that was interesting on uh, the front of masochistic business ownership i used to own you know the the pub down there in Pritis, and i've talked about that before and i've written about it I sold it to uh, the new owners are making a go and, and it's, it's just a boy, it's a tough business, narrow margin, a lot of work, not a heck of a lot of money. There was a, a picture Daniel Smith put out premier Smith in that, that rail car diner down in high river. She was working in the dish pit, uh, putting in some time washing dishes there. Some people thought it was staged. I, I, I don't know. You know, everything when you're political is certainly you put the pictures out for the, the sake of, you know, political self-promotion and things like that. But, uh, I don't think it was fully planned. I think it was a matter of your home for the weekend. Ah, crap, something went down. It's the husband who's running it. Yeah, I'll go in and do some dishes. I mean, when I owned the pub, I was in doing dishes all the time. I kind of liked it, actually. I found it a little relaxing versus uh, running around on the floor and trying to keep everything going. But then the next announcement uh, is that it's up for sale. So, uh, you know, <laughs> I can see why it's, it's, it's a tiring thing. It's a very unique one anyways. If somebody's looking for an, a different sort of business, I'm not, try, uh, by the way, uh, doing ads for Premier Smith or anything like that, but there's a, a neat uh, rail car diner uh, uh, restaurant business for sale down in High River if you're interested in that sort of course in life. So as I've said before, I wouldn't run another pub or restaurant again if it was for free, but there's other people have the dream and hey, good on you, go for it and uh, wish you the best. Either way, something a little lighter. It's a little different to see a Premier, you know, uh, up to their elbows doing dishes and things like that. And, uh, you know, Paradoxy saying it's good that she posts that. It's, it shows she's a regular person, not a Sky Palace shot. Yeah, you know, it's, uh, she's still connected on the ground with people and hopefully maintains that. I think when they're in too long, they all lose touch with that eventually. But uh, for now, she's still 
still a, a person who has a, an idea how work uh, needs to get done. All right, guys, that was a packed show. It was great having Jay in. It was great seeing all you guys tuning in today. I appreciate it. I got to move along here. So thank you all for coming on. I will be back again with a whole bunch more stuff to rant and rave about next week at this time. Here's an update on commodity prices in Lethbridge for today. Cash barley is steady at $4.12. Feed wheat is up $3 at $4.13. And corn is unchanged at $4.08 per metric ton. In the milling wheat markets, July Minneapolis futures are higher, 2.5 cents at 8.12 per bushel, with local hard red spring bid for June movement at 10.45. Looking at canola, nearby futures slipped $2.30 at 6.97 per ton, with delivered values for June movement at 16.03 per bushel. In the pulse markets, nearby red lentil prices are higher, a half a cent at 33.5 cents per pound, and yellow peas remain at 11.25 per bushel. In the cattle markets, August live cattle dropped 277.5 at 171.15 per hundred weight. For more information on pricing or picked up options, give me a call at 403-394-1711. I'm Matt Musicum at Marketplace Commodities. Accurate real-time marketing information and pricing options. Canadian Shooting Sports Association. Without the CSSA, our gun rights would have been taken long long ago these guys are on the front lines uh, helping to draft smart and intelligent firearms regulations and legislation in canada and more importantly educating the public about how we keep guns out of the hands of the wrong people to become a member it's absolutely worth every penny